This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Does it look like they coordinated the attack? A gang of raccoons said to be terrorizing cats in an Abbotsford neighborhood. Flames uh, blew up and jumped the guard. A wildfire east of Kamloops flares up and crews work frantically to save an eagle's nest from the flames. And the warning from Victoria Police after yet another hidden syringe is found. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening, I'm Jordan Armstrong. Thank you for joining us. Raccoons have a nasty reputation when it comes to scavenging for food. But the situation in an Abbotsford neighborhood is alarming. People living and working in the McMillan area say a gang of raccoons has attacked and terrorized dozens of cats and even killed some of them. Jill Bennett reports. This is the first day Hendrix, a 14-year-old cat, has been outside since being attacked by raccoons. I heard my husband shouting, get out of here, and um, then I saw a raccoon run across our yard. So then I grabbed the biggest garbage can and I ran right up to the group and I threw it down on the group and then they, they kind of scattered after that. Security camera footage from the house shows the raccoons approaching Hendrix unprovoked, then chasing the cat away. So those are the garbage cans I used to throw at them over at that area. It looked like they coordinated the attack where two kind of, you know, they ran towards him and kind of flushed him out. He had multiple bite wounds. Uh, they tore open his nostril and he had in one leg two dislocated bones and two broken bones. The Giesbrecks say there was no food outside and the garbage had just been picked up, but that can be what attracts raccoons in more urban areas. Most animals, they're looking for food and shelter. So if you take that away, you won't have especially food, you won't have the conflict that you see. As people build more and more, there's less and less natural spaces for them, and they're going to be in your backyards more. Since this attack, more people in the McMillan area of Abbotsford have shared similar stories. Sounds like in this immediate area that groups of raccoons are attacking um, small dogs and cats, seemingly unprovoked, uh, and killing them. Hendricks is set to get the cast off on Monday. He, like many other neighborhood cats, is now spending more time inside. Jill Bennett, Global News. A warning from Victoria Police tonight after another person was poked by a used needle in the downtown core. The man was pricked yesterday by a syringe hidden inside a hollow fence post in the 700 block of Yates Street. Police say the needle was wedged inside so that it would hurt anyone who put their fingers inside the hollow space. The victim was treated at the scene for non-life-threatening injuries. This past January, three people, including a toddler, were poked by used needles in the capital city in the span of one week. Firefighters in the district of North Vancouver rescued a 28-year-old man from a construction site overnight. The accident happened just before 3 this morning at a B.C. government work site at Brooks Bank and East Keith Road, where crews are working on the Highway 1 improvement project. 
The transportation ministry says a pipe layer was injured while chipping away at rock. His hammer slipped and landed on top of his foot, penetrating his boot. Firefighters performed a rope rescue to get him out of what they describe as a trench. He was taken to Lionsgate Hospital with non-life-threatening injuries. WorkSafe BC is leading the investigation. To the latest now on the wildfire fight. Currently, the biggest fire closest to any community remains the fire east of Kamloops. Viewer video showing the front lines of the East Shoeswap Road fire yesterday after it grew to 500 hectares. The fire flared up last night, fueled by strong winds and extremely dry conditions. As Global Okanagan's Jules Knox reports from Kamloops, crews were also mindful to save an eagle's nest in the path of the flames. A block in landscape as the Kamloops fire smokes on, leaving charred trees in its wake. One with two eaglets nestled in the top, fighting for their life. Three quarters of this enormously tall tree was in flames and heading toward the eagle's nest. And the eaglets were just looking out, active, but um, unable to fly away. Neighbors watching in suspense as flames flared higher and higher below their nest. Fire crews fighting to save them. The winds would stop their water from getting to it. So the choppers would come in and drop water, and for about an hour they fought, and ten times they lost, the tree restarted, and it got within about six feet of the eagles. But to the relief of many, fire crews prevailed in the battle for this tree. Uh, at this time, the tree's still standing, and from what we understand, the eagles are doing well. We're looking over there now, and they're flapping their wings like they're going to fly. They're, everything's good. <laughs> More than 100 firefighters, five helicopters and four water tenders struggled against the 500 hectare fire in high winds and over difficult terrain on Friday night. We had uh, extreme wind behavior last night, uh, coupled with some train traps provided some challenges for the crews. And although the fire is not yet contained, officials are now more optimistic. The fires experienced minimal fire growth at this uh, time. The crews are working for full perimeter containment and are having success. Officials say they aren't expecting any severe weather events like high winds in the future, but conditions will still likely be hot and dry as they fight to contain this fire. Jules Knox, Global News, Kamloops. Now there are 61 wildfires burning across BC right now. 18 of them are human caused and with hot weather in the forecast for parts of the south coast, the risk of more wildfires is heightened. In southern BC, we are seeing the fire danger rating increasing as the days get warmer and warmer and as we have limited precipitation providing any reprieve. We are seeing moderate to high, however pockets of extreme on southern Vancouver Island as well as the western Kamloops fire centre, so that includes areas such as Merritt, Lytton and Lillooet and the Okanagan area is increasing with extreme to high and across the southeast of British Columbia is increasing its fire danger rating. So again, pockets of high and then extreme in the Cranbrook area. Those opposed to the expansion of the Kinder Morgan Pipeline project returned to the waters of Burrard Inlet today. Battles ready! Forward! One, two. 
A flotilla of canoes and kayaks left Cates Park in North Vancouver this morning and headed to Kinder Morgan's West Ridge Marine Terminal. The federal government is buying the controversial pipeline expansion project, saying it's in the national interest to ensure it's completed. But more than 200 people have been arrested at numerous Trans Mountain facilities since mid-March in an ongoing attempt to stop the project. This waterway here is, is very important to our people. Uh, you know, these were our spiritual highways. Uh, it's very important for us to, uh, to caretake for this water. What, what's important is we do go out there and put our medicines down and we do uh, have our prayers on that water. Um, and then, you know, it's exciting to have these people to come witness this. And then now they can go tell their families what they, what they saw here today. Meantime, another protest against the Trans Mountain Pipeline, this time outside of Kamloops, has led to an arrest. A spokesperson for the activist group Tiny House Warriors was taken into custody after defying an evacuation order from the B.C. Parks Service. Members of a local First Nation had been occupying the site since last week, but left today after the arrest. Health Canada is recalling a brand of berry mix because of the risk of salmonella. Health Canada has recalled Europe's best brand field berry mixes because of a salmonella outbreak that was triggered in another country. The Canadian Food Inspection Agency is conducting an investigation and may recall other products. If you think you have become sick from consuming the berries, you should contact a doctor right away. Those opposed to the sexual orientation and gender identity curriculum known as SOGI rallied at Rocky Point Park in Port Moody today. They held up signs demanding the province put an end to SOGI 123, which is an initiative aimed at educating students on issues regarding gender and sexuality. Protesters also took aim at the BC Teachers Federation and the Ministry of Education. Most school districts have adopted the curriculum. A woman has died in a motorcycle accident near Highway 1 in Abbotsford. Two people were thrown off their bike in the crash that happened on South Parallel Road near Sumas Prairie last night. The road was shut down for hours while officers investigated. Drivers also faced major delays on Highway 1 heading out of Abbotsford. Mission RCMP have taken over the investigation. And Vancouver police were called to a nightclub inside Trump Tower just before 11 last night in order to break up a fight. Three people were arrested for breaching the peace. VPD saying the fight was fueled by alcohol and overcrowding. An unusual sight in Burnaby this morning after a trailer suddenly caved in. Burnaby RCMP say it happened at about 4.30 this morning as the truck was traveling on Low Heat Highway near Douglas Road. It is not known what caused the failure. The trailer was carrying cans of paint. That paint had to be unloaded before the truck could be towed away. No one was hurt. Metro Vancouver says a bear has returned to a popular beach in Belcara, which forced its closure earlier this week. Beachgoers are enjoying White Pine Beach again, but there are restrictions. You can't barbecue, you can't leave any food unattended, and you must dispose of garbage in bear-proof bins. Video last week showed a bear looking for food. This is bear country. No matter where you go in any park, you can come across a bear. Yes. Am I concerned? That's why they don't really allow us to have food. There's a popular area, it's a popular de destination, and with more people, they may scare off. I have even walked around the, the lake. I think as long as people keep their garbage and stuff and pack out what you pack in, and I mean, last time we were here, we actually saw the bear. It was just up on the road when we were driving in. Um, but I think as long as everyone's just bear aware and keeps safe, then 
No, I think it's okay. Welcome back to the news hour. A perfect day for a swim in the Okanagan. 1,300 people took part in the annual Across the Lake swim. The event began in 1948 and remains the longest running annual open water swim in Canada. Participants swim 2.1 kilometers, finishing at City Park. This year, 16 year old Justice Mignot of Maple Ridge finished first with a time of 23 minutes and 4 seconds. There was also a familiar face at the finish line, Trevor Linden. I do it for the apres, the after. It's a uh, community, it's uh, friends, it's telling stories of what happened during the event, and uh, it's just celebrating where we live. A summer break today for low-income families on Vancouver's downtown east side. This barbecue is awesome. The 19th annual Union Gospel Mission Summer Barbecue returned to Oppenheimer Park. 400 Smokies, 1,200 pounds of pasta salad, and countless freezies among some of the food offered to help residents celebrate the season. The UGM says this event is more than a get-together. It helps fill a need for some of society's most vulnerable. In the last year, the childhood poverty rate in the downtown east side has increased to 73.5%, which is staggering. Uh, in the summertime, children and their families may not have the same sort of supports that they have, and so one of the important aspects of our summer barbecue is to really provide a safe, fun, exciting environment for families to spend together, because otherwise they may not have that opportunity. We're doing a little piece. UGM does it 24-7, you know. And um, that's really what people need to be aware of, that this goes on. I mean, you know, if we all pitch in, we can make it go away and we can help people. And if you were looking for a bit of fun in the sun, then Cloverdale was the place to be. 4,000 people participated in this year's Rugged Maniac. Two, one. There they go. Participants on the five-kilometer course made their way through the fairground, encountering 25 obstacles some of these included crawling through mud, jumping over fire, bouncing on a trampoline, and pulling your own weight. This family-friendly event finished with a fun ride down a water slide. This was like kind of a nice day out. It was nice and casual, not too, not too hard, but not too easy. It was kind of a nice medium course. I liked it. We have obstacles that are challenging, but still able to be done. Um, so we, our idea behind it is to push people to try to get them done, uh, but they are allowed to skip them with no penalty, but we definitely motivate them to get them done. The first guy was Jamie, one of our editors. Yes. I saw him in the newsroom today. He's much cleaner now. Yes, He's yes. taking well, a shower. Hey, that's half the fun is getting all that's that dirty. Right, right? That's right. Yeah. Here's here now, and uh, let's check in with Yvonne. She is down at Sunset Beach, where it is a beautiful night for a free concert, Yvonne. Yes, and this is the first time the concert is kicking off. It's presented by the Vancouver Park Board and the Vancouver Symphony Orchestra. It's called Symphony at Sunset. And as we take a look, the stage is set and the people are starting to fill in. If you'd like to come on down, the pre-concert will be kicking off at 7.15 this evening. And then the main concert is from 8.30 to 10. There's thousands of people that are expected to be here, and it is a fantastic venue. So you still have the opportunity to come down. Temperatures have been soaring. I'll have more on the forecast on how long the heat will last. It's going to get even warmer for our Sunday and Monday. I'll have those numbers coming up shortly. But a beautiful night to be outdoors. Yeah. Guys?
Bring lots of water. Thanks, Yvonne. We'll check in with you soon. So it's like the triple W of sports, I guess. Whitecaps, Wimbledon, World Cup? Perfect. Uh, pretty much. That's it. I never thought of it that way, Jordan, but you're, you're right. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Everything was, uh, was wonderful, too, because the, uh, the Wimbledon, especially today, uh, Djokovic and Nadell, fantastic. Uh, so we have highlights of that coming up. Whitecaps on the field right now in Washington. And a World Cup, the game no one wants to play for third place between Belgium and England, but highlights of all that. And welcome back to the News Hour. A day after having tea with the Queen and holding talks with the British Prime Minister, U.S. President Donald Trump played golf today. He teed off at one of the courses he owns in Scotland just a few hours before he goes to Finland, where he will meet with the Russian president. But this time, he wasn't able to avoid the massive protests against him. At one of two courses that bear his name here in Scotland, the president was visible on the links today, shortly after he called golf his primary form of exercise. But his visit energized protesters who jeered when in sight of the president. Some carried their signs and their voices right to the Greens at Turnberry. I think that it is important that we're not complicit, and I think that silence becomes complicity. 90 miles away in Edinburgh. He's insulted our Prime Minister, uh, so yeah, I, I'm opposed to what the man, the way the man works. A sprawling crowd filled the city centre. NBC's Lucy Kefanoff was there. A lot of the demonstrators have described President Trump as a racist. They haven't been happy with his immigration policies at home or his comments about Brexit and the European Union. People are like going out of their way to say, you know, this is about Trump, not about Americans. Today, activists from Greenpeace released video of its sunset protest Friday. The paraglider steered his anti-Trump message right above the president, who quickly moved inside the resort. But supporters of President Trump also turned up outside the U.S. Embassy in London today. He's doing what he said he's going to do for America, and he's turned the country around. Before and after his golf game, the president tweeted his frustration about the Russia probe, blaming not the Russian hackers indicted Friday, but his predecessor. These Russian individuals did their work during the Obama years, claiming the breach of Democratic National Committee and Hillary Clinton emails had nothing to do with the Trump administration. A jaguar at the Audubon Zoo in New Orleans escaped its habitat and killed six animals. The zoo was closed to the public after the attack this morning. The male jaguar named Valerio killed four alpacas, an emu and a fox. A veterinary team was able to track the jaguar down an hour later and sedated him. No person was hurt. An investigation is underway to determine how he got loose. Officials say this is normal behavior for a jaguar. The zoo, it's been here for 100 years. During our time period, we've had over 100 million visitors, a billion a year, to the zoo. Um, we've never had an incident like this before. Well, the young Thai soccer team that was rescued from a flooded out cave will be released next week. That comes as the boys begin talking about their ordeal for the first time. From their hospital beds, the boys sent thanks to the rescuers who saved them. Hello, I'm Adun. Now I'm very fine. I'm very thank you so happy. Heard for the first time, saying they're strong, hungry and grateful. My health is good, said Dom, who had his 13th birthday inside the cave one day after the boys and their coach were found. 
The team had gone into the cave late last month to explore for no more than an hour. Then came the rain and a rush of water. Dom's uncle, who raises him, told us the rising water forced the boys to scramble deeper into the cave, where they used their bare hands to dig for an air pocket. The rescue mission, with 200 divers, at times dangerously close to failing. Australian doctor Richard Harris was the last member of the rescue team to get out. Some uh, moments of um, uh, significant fear, I have to say, and then uh, a great result and, and uh, some really um, joyous moments to finish. Then he learned that his father had died. The incredible rescue thrusting this quiet mountain area into the spotlight. And now Hollywood has come calling, with two producers planning projects. It doesn't phase Dom's grandmother. She says, I'll tell Dom you're not a hero, just a normal boy who got lost in the cave. On her coffee table, a picture Dom drew in the hospital of the wild boar soccer team in their boldest victory yet. Janice Mackey-Frayer, NBC News, Maysai, Thailand. Huge lineups at Silver Star today as the resort's new gondola opened to the public. Thousands turned out for festivities and to ride the lift, which carries people from the village to the top of the mountain in under five minutes. The high-speed detachable cabins each provide seating for eight people. The gondola was supposed to open on July 7th, but a spring snowstorm delayed construction by a week. It replaces the summit chair that's carried guests up the mountain since 1970. So the construction uh, took about 14 months, but years of planning. So it's a big milestone for Silver Star to have the gondola taking uh, both riders as well as skiers and snowboarders from the village all the way to the top of the summit. Plenty of sunshine in the Okanagan today. Plenty of sunshine on the south coast. You'd be wise to find a spot at the beach, and that is where Yvonne Shell is for us tonight. Is there a bit of a breeze at least down there, Yvonne? Yeah, it has been a bit breezier. It's definitely cooler by the water with most areas today getting up to 23 and then inland up to 29. We're at Sunset Beach Park for Symphony at Sunset that's presented by the Vancouver Symphony Orchestra. And I'll have more on the event because if you want to check it out, it is still it is going to kick off this evening at 7.15, so you'll still have the opportunity. But let's get to the numbers and what we saw today. And we're anticipating the heat to be even warmer over the next little while. Here's a shot of our tower cam outside this evening. Temperatures are sitting at 22 out of the airport with a northwesterly wind at 20 kilometers per hour. So there is a bit of a breeze by the water and it is more pleasant. 23 was the high today, but with the humidex, it felt closer to 28 degrees. We'll remain well above that over the next little while, but inland sections and stretching into the Fraser Valley saw highs of 31 and 32 degrees. Here's a glance at some of the other numbers across the province with the Soyuz up to 31 degrees. Kamloops today up to 29 in Prince George 24 by the water for Prince Rupert topping out at 17. One area across the province that we're still seeing some cloud cover and increase in cloud cover will be this evening and overnight is for the north coast with a slight chance for an isolated shower tomorrow but all areas across the province will be benefiting from a ridge of high pressure. It builds in once again Sunday, Monday across the south coast. Those will be the hottest days where we are seeing it into the mid-20s and low 30s for inland sections but interior sections it's Monday and Tuesday that we'll see the peak of the temperatures and that's into the mid-30s and upper 30s as we look ahead towards our Tuesday and then a bit of a reprieve, a touch cooler for Wednesday, Thursday, 
But a reminder, the fire danger is expected to jump over the next few days and we're not tracking any precipitation. For the piece, up to 26 degrees tomorrow, gusty winds at times up to 40 kilometers per hour. Most areas near Whitehorse will see scattered showers, 13 as the high with a southerly wind at 30 kilometers per hour. Coastal sections, there's that increase in cloud cover. A chance of showers redevelops on Monday with temperatures holding steady at 17 over the next two days. Caribou and Central Interior, 27 tomorrow, southwesterly wind up to 20 kilometers per hour, but well above your average that sits closer to 25. Columbia and Kootenai region, 34 degrees, but look at that range in temperatures. It jumps on Monday, Tuesday with highs of 38. Most areas near the Thompson Okanagan at 33, 35 for Monday, Tuesday. And Whistler seeing a range between 30 and 31 degrees for the next three days. Hot, hot, hot right across the south coast with the peak of the temperatures for us will be leading in towards our Sunday, Monday. And for interior sections, it'll be for your Monday, Tuesday. Still seeing highs tomorrow inland closer to 32 degrees. And it is going to be a hot one as we look ahead towards early next week before we start to see a slight reprieve. All right, we're down here at Sunset Beach and we're joined by Bill Rouston. It's fantastic. You're the assistant director of the Vancouver Symphony Orchestra. The crowds are starting to fill. Tell us about the event. It's the first time and it's free for anyone who wants to check it out. That's right. It's the first time the Vancouver Symphony will be performing here at Sunset Beach tonight. Uh, this is a big event for us to kick off our 100th anniversary season. And we've also brought some ensembles from the uh, VSO School of Music. Uh, and they will begin tonight at 7.15. That is the Azalea Ensemble, which is an ensemble of Chinese instruments. And there'll be a guitar ensemble and then our uh, uh, sort of elite string ensemble called the Sinfonietta. Yes. And then the main event kicks off at what time and how long is it tonight? Uh, the main event is, uh, kicks off at 8.30. It's the Vancouver Symphony uh, live in performance. And the event is about 90 minutes long. Excellent. Yeah, so come on down. It's a perfect venue. It's a great evening. Good luck with the event. Organizers are saying that over 7,000 people may be showing up. I anticipate it's going to be more because it's looking very busy already this evening. It's very promising. Yeah, <laughs> it's going to be a lot of fun. Well, thank you so much for your time. And once again, if you do want to check things out, the pre-concert begins at 7.15, and then the main show will be at 8.30, and we're down here at Sunset Beach Park. Jordan? All right, should be a good time down there. Thanks, Yvonne. Just how much trash is floating out in the Pacific? A group of scientists and volunteers went to find that out for themselves. Traveling the ocean, taking samples from the Great Pacific Garbage Patch. Our Nadia Stewart met up with them when the all-female crew arrived back in Vancouver today. So this was the one with 507 fragments of plastic. It could be a while before we learn where these bits and pieces of ocean plastic originated from. It's a fragment of plastic, but it's a great question um, in terms of what is it? It's why Emily Penn and her all-female crew sailed into Vancouver's harbour today, dropping anchor to drop off some fresh samples for Dr. Peter Ross at the OceanWise really Plastics Lab. We can basically divide the plastic into two types here, the nurdles, the pre-production pellets. So Each little piece part of a larger puzzle researchers the world over are trying to solve. We realise that trying to clean up pick out those fragments is so hard, we need to be working at the source. So we're really hoping that this research is going to drive to source-based action. And there was about 10 times as much plastic actually underwater. Obviously, Penn has spent the last 10 years trying to get to the source. Every year she leads a crew on board the Sea Dragon crossing the North Atlantic. On board a diverse crew of scientists, journalists, filmmakers, designers, 
all of them looking to help advance ocean plastics and microplastic research by collecting samples, later analyzed by Ross and his team. Identifying source is what we need to do to track our way towards solutions. Uh, we found as much as 9,000 particles of microplastic in a single cubic meter of seawater in coastal British Columbia. And it's not just here, it's everywhere, millions of tons. Prompting a meeting of G7 nations in Halifax this fall to discuss how to slow the flow of waste into the world's oceans. As the problem becomes much too big for anyone to ignore anymore. The challenge we all have now is how do we turn that awareness into action. Nadia Stewart, Global News. Nearly 100 cyclists are touring the Fraser Valley this weekend to help support people living with MS. This morning, participants geared up in Langley to set out on a two-day ride. MS Bike is the largest cycling fundraising series in North America. With events across Canada this summer, Canada has the world's highest rate of MS, and money raised during this weekend's ride will go towards groundbreaking research to help end the disease. So our goal is to raise 185,000 this year, and we're well on our way. It looks like it looks like we're going we're going to hit that, and all of that will go towards much-needed research programs and services supporting people with MS uh, to live the best quality of life that they possibly can. Lots going on, starting mm -hmm. with the white caps in D.C. Yes, the uh, road hasn't been kind to the caps lately, mm -hmm. and uh, unfortunately. That trend continuing. Thanks, Jordan. Uh, last week, the Whitecaps shut down Chicago's Bastin Schweinsteiger in a 3-2 win. Today in Washington, D.C., another world-class striker from Europe to contend with, Englishman Wayne Rooney, making his MLS debut tonight for D.C. United in their brand-new stadium. Rooney getting all of the attention this week. Would he make his mark today? Started on the bench. Former Whitecap David Osted, now a member of D.C. United, but it's the Whitecaps keeper Brian Rowe who is sharp early. Aggressive play to thwart another former Whitecap, Darren Maddox. But Washington christened their new stadium with this beauty, Yamil Assad. Curling one in with the right foot, and that is perfect to the top of the net. No chance for Rowe. 1-0 D.C. United. Whitecaps have a chance to equalize off the free kick. Marcel de Jong swings it in, headed off the crossbar by Kai Kamara. That close to tying things up. One nil at the half. Second cap, half. Whitecap corner, Daniel Henry. Great chance. Wide open net, but misses the mark from short range. Wayne Rooney is going to come on in the 58th minute. Carl Robinson personally welcoming him to the MLS. Rooney will get a nice ovation and an early free kick from close or at least about 30 yards out. That was blocked, but D.C. has just scored another 2-0 in the second half, about 73 minutes gone. World Cup third-place game, a tough one emotionally for Belgium and England after heartbreaking semifinal losses. Belgium strike early. Nasser Chadley into the box for Thomas Munier for the sliding finish. 1-0 Belgium at halftime. England looked like they tied it. Eric Dyer with the little chip over Thibault Courtois, but it's Toby Alderweireld to the rescue. A dramatic clearance off the line keeps it 1-0. Late with England going for it. Belgium on the counterattack, and their most dangerous man, Eden Hazard, puts it away as Belgium finished third with a 2-0 win over England, so that's their highest finish ever for Belgium at a World Cup. England places fourth.
The World Cup final goes tomorrow morning, 8 o'clock our time. France heavily favored to beat Croatia. France may have the talent advantage, but Croatia's gotten here with sheer guts and determination. Chanel has a preview. They started with 32 teams a month ago, and now we're down to the final two, as it will be an all-European clash in the World Cup final. France and Croatia have traveled different roads to get to Moscow. Both are deserving finalists, but only one will leave Luzhniki Stadium with soccer's most prestigious prize. The French may have been the best all-around squad in Russia, and they are on a major roll, getting better and more confident as the tournament has progressed. While he did surrender three goals to Argentina, Hugo Lloris has been brilliant since then, making some big-time saves in the quarters and the semifinals. He's only had to make 11 saves, that's because the group in front of him have been stout. The defense is led by Rafael Varane and Samuel Amtiti, who are big, strong and fast. In the last two matches, they've shut down some of the world's best forwards. They'll look to do the same on Sunday. Up front, Antoine Griezmann has scored three times. Olivier Giroud has been solid, but Kylian Mbappe has been lethal. The teenager has scored three times and his pace has kept defenders on their heels. Now, if he gets space and time, he could lead his country to their second world title. Croatia is the smallest nation to make a final in 68 years, and they've done it the hard way. Three straight comebacks, three straight extra time matches. The Croatians may not be the most talented, but they can never be counted out. It's been a well-balanced attack, three players with two goals each. Luka Modric is the anchor in the midfield. He will look to try and control play and act as a catalyst for the Croatian attack. If he can get the ball to the foot of Mario Mandzukic or Ivan Perisic's foot, the French could be in trouble. The one advantage they do have, the experience and chemistry amongst the veterans on the pitch. The defense has allowed four goals in the knockout stage and has its work cut out, trying to stop Mbappe. If Croatia can shut him down, they have a chance. The two nations have met five times. France has never lost to Croatia in those matches. The French are even money favorites, but the one thing the 2018 World Cup has taught us, there is no such thing as a sure bet. Welcome back. It's the year of the marathon match at Wimbledon. Kevin Anderson and John Isner went for six hours, 36 minutes in their semifinal Friday, the longest semifinal ever at Wimbledon. Today we got the second longest semifinal ever. Djokovic and Nadal with an epic battle, maybe their greatest ever, and they've had a few. This one went five hours, 15 minutes over two days. They were picking it up today after they hit the 11 p.m. local curfew last night. It was tennis at its highest level. Nadal won the fourth forcing a fifth and that brought even more incredible points. Nadal with a laser down the line. Then at seven all, Djokovic facing a break point comes up with this cracking passing shot. Both men with amazing shots under immense pressure. More to come as this match hits the five hour mark. Nadal facing match point. He will come up with this gutsy drop shot. Facing match point. Are you kidding? It was ridiculous, the quality. Djokovic almost doing the human wishbone stretching for that one. Finally, a slip up from Nadal, literally. Rafa goes down on the baseline, scrambles back to his feet, but nets the backhand. Amazing, really, just for him to recover from that and get a racket on the ball, but it's triple match point for Djokovic, and this time... 
Rafa has no answers as he sprays the forehand wide. And it's over. Novak Djokovic in one of the greatest Wimbledon matches ever. Five hours, 15 minutes of sensational tennis. He now leads the head-to-head 27-25. Now, will either Djokovic or Anderson have anything left in the tank for tomorrow's men's final? Anderson's never won a major. Djokovic has a dozen to his credit, including three Wimbledon crowns. Could you appreciate what a special match it was? Very special. Um, it really could have could have gone either way. I think you know people who who've seen the match. Uh, you know it was very clear that very few things separated uh, the two players. And basically till the last shot, I, I didn't know if I'm going to win. I, I believed it, you know, but I, I I knew that he's he was very very close and he had some chances. And uh, yeah, it's this this kind of matches you live for, you work for. Special royal guests for the women's final, Kate and Meghan, Duchess's front and center. Meghan Markle, pretty good friends with Serena Williams, who took on Germany's Angelique Kerber. Serena's story well documented, an amazing comeback after a difficult childbirth a year ago. That required many post-delivery surgeries. Serena getting started, uh, stronger with each match this fortnight, but Kerber was ready for her. Serena, 24 unforced errors to just five for Kerber, who took the first set 6-3. Kerber lost to Serena in the 2016 Wimbledon final, but was the best player today. Rips the winner here. Go to match point now. Kerber wins her first Wimbledon title quite comfortably. 6-3, 6-3. Denies Serena her eighth Wimbledon title, and that would have been a record-tying 24th major. Kerber's now won three majors in Aussie, a U.S., and now Wimbledon. The Lions get another crack at the Blue Bombers tonight at BC Place after being soundly thumped last week in Winnipeg. That performance prompted a quarterback change. It's now Travis Lule's team. He says his body's healed and his mind is ready, and his teammates certainly believe that he can help get them back on track. Well, he's definitely going to bring that charisma, you know, his personality to the huddle, to the field. You know, he's a warrior. Not that, Tra- uh, nah, not that John isn't, but, you know, Trav's just been doing it for a long time. I mean, I think he's been in the CFL longer than... Jonathan's been playing football. You know, and I believe the players have a lot of confidence in Travis, and, you know, hopefully you'll see a team that has more confidence. World Field Lacrosse Championship from Israel today. Canada taking on Scotland in the round robin. Plenty of BC players on Team Canada. New Westminster's Josh Byrne finds net on the power play. 6 nothing Canada. Poor Coquitlam's Curtis Dixon had a big day, scored four times as Canada went on to hammer Scotland 22-3. They've also beaten England this week 12-6, off to a 2-0 start. It'll get much tougher tomorrow when Canada plays the United States. In the 12 previous Worlds, Canada's won three, the USA nine, so they are definitely the top two teams. LPGA stop this week is in Ohio for the Marathon Classic. Canada's Brooke Henderson began the day tied for the lead. Tee shot at the par three sixth, beautifully struck. Almost a hole in one there. Easy birdie to get to uh, minus 10. Then at the seventh, just from off the green, knocks that in for birdie, got it to 11 under. 17th hole now, par five, little pitch shot for her third. Nicely judged, she would make that for birdie to get to 11 under. Brooke has the lead by one shot at the Marathon Classic after a 69 today, looking for her seventh win on the LPGA Tour. Third round of the John Deere Classic from Illinois. They've had a lot of weather issues, but they did get in the third round today just a few minutes ago, actually. David Hearn, who lost this tournament to Jordan Spieth in a playoff a few years ago, in the hunt again. Birdie here. 
finished at uh, minus 13 today, but he's nine back of the lead. American Michael Kim looking for his first PGA Tour win. And it looks like he's trying to leave no doubt because he has opened up a pretty big lead. Nice approach at 13. Knocks that in for a birdie. Kim at 22 under through three rounds. Has a five-shot lead. Nick Taylor of Abbotsford at minus 10. Final round tomorrow right here on Global at 12.30. And we've got some Jays and Red Sox for you from Fenway. Blue Jays snap Boston's 10-game win streak yesterday. And they look good to make it uh, two straight losses today after this Lourdes Gurriel Jr. RBI single gave Toronto a 2-1 lead. But Toronto coughed up the lead in the ninth and then in the 10th with the bases loaded. Xander Bogarts slams one. Walk-off Grand Slam. Red Sox win for the 11th time in 12. 6-2 over the Blue Jays. From the events that shape our lives to the stories that shape our landscape. Global News. We cover your summer. The world's steepest 400-meter race returned to Whistler today after smoke from forest fires canceled last year's event. Among the hundreds tackling the grueling uphill battle, a recovering quadriplegic. Kristen Robinson has the story. Whistler, you guys ready for the Red Bull 400? No one at this start line more ready than Mike Shaw. All right, here we go. This is first time and I am so stoked. In three, two, one. Shaw joining hundreds to scale a dry ski jump in Canada's steepest 400 meter race. 400 meters is usually pretty quick and easy, but not when you're running up an Olympic ski hill. Or try doing it as a recovering quadriplegic. I'm so grateful to be here, it's, it's incredible. Freestyle ski coach Mike Shaw's career derailed in 2013 when a routine trick on the slopes paralyzed him from the neck down. I had uh, an accident that ended it all. I was doing a 720, landed in some punchy snow. It pitched me forwards onto my head and neck. I ended up dislocating and breaking my neck. Shaw underwent spine surgery and battled back. Almost five years later, he's competing with other diehards in the ultimate endurance test. I'm coming off of Ironman six days ago in Frankfurt. It was really exciting, but it means my legs are a little bit trashed. For me personally, it's like bucket list item. Like I just want to see if I can get to the top and how fast I can go. I would say the last 100 meters is probably the most difficult because you have a lot of lactic acid in your legs and yes, really, really hurts. A tough grind even for the winner and a hardcore finish for the competitor who was told he would never walk again. If I can do it, anybody can do it. Kristen Robinson, Global News. Kudos to him, amazing. Pretty inspirational to come back from that. Yeah. That's not an easy climb. Not at all. It kind of <laughs> makes the grouse grind look tame, yeah, doesn't it? Yeah, I've done the grouse grind. I don't think I want anything of the 400 uh, hill climb. I'm with you. That is tonight's news hour. Thanks for being with us. Hope to see you at 11. Good night.